Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is April 1st. It is April Fool's Day. This is episode 289, and my name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we'll look back at a not-so-opening day and the ghosts of opening day past. We'll also make Jake very happy by talking to Matt Taylor from Roar from 34. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you drinking? Uh, Jake, I'm doing an Elvis juice. Um, again, grapefruit IPA from uh, Brewdog, um, brewed in Ohio. Um, really nice kind of summer beer, in my opinion. Um, perfect for watching baseball. Well, you know, the Elvis juice has the grapefruit. My drink of the week this week is a grapefruit gin and tonic. Uh, which is, again, a nice, good summer drink. But, uh, you know, I've turned it into a not-quite-summer drink. If you're interested to hear what we are drinking as far as beer is concerned as the week goes on, please join us on Untapped. I'm at JakeE4025. And I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, Scott, I'm not sure there's a whole lot going on in the medical wing this week. No one else has befallen injured, so I'm going to recommend we just move along to this week on the Twitters. Yeah, I think we've had enough uh, medical news um, in, in our lives on a daily basis. So let's start with our first tweet. This comes from Justin McGuire. You can follow him at MLB. He says as follows, Just sitting here, hoping to make it through another day of not knowing WTF Tiger King is. <laughs> yeah as has your household fallen victim to the tiger king we have not um you know we have obviously seen the memes um we have a brief aspect of um you know understanding what the concept is um but frankly um not interested for my demographic sure sure all right so our next tweet comes to us well from the baltimore orioles who tweet at Orioles. They've got nothing better to this do. <laughs> right. This tweet is as follows. Iron Man at A-Rod's Idol and two-time All-Star Game MVP. Watch his 19th and final All-Star Game today at 1 p.m. Eastern at Orioles.com. And this is a clip from that All-Star Game uh, right before the game started where A-Rod and Joe Torre conspired to send uh, Junior back to his original position at short one last time uh i watched it you know live obviously but it was really nice to rewatch today it was just a nice reminder that oh that's right baseball exists and sometimes it used to bring me joy yeah i asked this question earlier because i watched the same clip and i watched it uh on orioles.com um and i I raised the question you know cal getting that first pitch um you know that pitch was grooved right like i keep i always say to myself was it grooved or was it not grooved but it was grooved right I choose not to wonder. Mm. Mm. I choose not to wonder. Good for you. That's very Catholic of you. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. Evan Meek was not pitching. Evan Meek was not pitching. If that tells you anything. Yeah. All right. The next tweet, I was actually really fascinated by this. This is a tweet that comes from John Mioli, who, of course, tweets at John Mioli. And if you're not reading his stuff on The Sun, what are you doing? Uh, The tweet is as follows. The Orioles' new mental skills coach, Catherine Rowe, took her sessions online last month to continue teaching prospects about the mindfulness, self-talk, goal-setting, and more. 
inside the blossoming program that's still humming through the shutdown. I found this really interesting on a number of levels. First, I think it's awesome that the Orioles have a mental skills coach. Um, And this is, I, I wonder how unique it is to the Orioles. But beyond that, I wonder what kind of mental skills um, she's coaching. And if this is the type of deal that prospects that get this kind of training through uh, the system will be able to benefit from this even after they flame out of baseball. This is, this is a really interesting concept to me. I'm curious to see how it will affect the, the ball club as far as wins and losses is concerned. And I'm interested to see what it will do for the, the people, you know, the human side of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think it's a really interesting uh, development from a very conservative organization in the past. Um, I, I'm glad to see this. Um, and, and frankly, I, I, it's, it's well overdue at this point. Absolutely. All right, the next tweet, this one got me. Um, and again, uh, this tweet comes out on opening day. It's from the Baltimore Orioles at Orioles. And it's titled, We're In This Together, hashtag opening day at home, hashtag Birdland. And it is Jim Palmer, in essence giving me quiet assurances of, um, you know, we're going to get through this, you know, baseball, we return. Uh, this hit me everywhere. I mean, this is, yeah, if, if I didn't sit down and watch this and just not feel goosebumps and emotion, uh, number one, I wouldn't be a baseball fan. Number two, I wouldn't be a Jim Palmer fan. Um, I want Jim Palmer to, in essence, read me quiet assurances uh, every single day. So this was really well done. Uh, the Orioles need to do more stuff like this and, in essence, um, go to some of their you know, legends as they were uh, and have them continue to engage with the public such as this. All right. Our next tweet is the good guy award for today. And this is brought to us by rock Baco, who of course tweets at mass and rock really cool gesture by hashtag Orioles reliever, Richard Blyer to arrange for a catered lunch for the ER department at Wellington regional medical center in Florida. He encourages others via his Instagram account to help others in need at this time. I think that's great. Great for Blyer. And, uh, you know, we, we talked last week, I think it was about, uh, the pirates trying to arrange for, uh, hospital workers to, to get a meal here and there. Uh, this is just great to see. So I, I agree with you. Um, it was great to see, uh, Dick Blyer go out and do this. Um, however, I, I do think it has to be an honorable mention. Um, there was information that came out today, um, indicating Shinso Chu uh, from the Rangers organization is going to be giving $1,000 to each Rangers minor leaguer uh, during this time, uh, which is going to come out to be about $190,000 to uh, the minor league baseball players. Again, you know, Shinso Chu signed a massive contract, but still, it's a really nice gesture. We talk about this all the time of, you know, how little these guys are being funded. And just see a player go out there and basically drop $190,000 on a bunch of minor league players that he doesn't even know. Uh, I, I thought that is an individual, again, that I would say, you know, is just doing a really great job of supporting the profession and the people um, that are with him in the organization. Yeah, absolutely. That that was definitely a, an amazing gesture uh, and a meaningful one at that. All right, Scotty, the next tweet is... Uh, well, this is right up your alley, so I'll leave it to you. Oh, okay. Well, this one actually comes from Matt Kremnitzer. You can follow him at Matt Kremnitzer. And uh, he decided to play a game, um, and he asked the question, who are your three favorite random Orioles from the past five to ten years? He says, I'd have to go with Steve Pierce, Hunsu Kim, and Miguel Gonzalez. 
Jake, who are you going with with your top three most random Orioles players over these given time period? Sure. I'm going to go with Steve Johnson. Okay. Is good Jim Johnson too random? No, see, I think Jim Johnson's actually in my list too. I think Jim Johnson makes a ton of sense. I, I think people have forgotten Jim Johnson, so I think it's good. Okay. Uh, and then I'm going to throw it all the way back and say David Newhan. Oh, David Newhan. That's a good one. Um, what about you? What, what's your trio? So Jim Johnson was one of mine. Uh, I feel, though, that we are forgetting someone and everyone is not recognizing it. But Wilson Betamid has to be on our random Orioles that we just love to talk about. I mean, <laughs> the fact that in um, you know origin episodes with Bird's Eye View, we got to take a Wilson ball and actually have Wilson Betamid sign the Wilson ball uh, has to be one of the highlights of uh, of of my career. Um, and, and that was a high watermark for us. Yes, yeah, so it was a high watermark, and we we quickly flamed out um, after that. And then my third one um, that I'm going to give to as well is going to be um, Brad Bergerson. Um, again, someone mm. we thought was going to be huge. Uh, and it ended up going into a massive commercial and ending his career. But uh, yeah, Brad Bergeson is going to be one of my uh, favorite Orioles because uh, it was one of those situations was like, this is going to be the person that finally turns the corner. Um, and, and then it didn't happen to be the case whatsoever. Well, Matt Kremnitzer has been putting out a ton of great content on Twitter. Without games to watch, he's been making his own games. And on the topic of making your own games, this is a tweet that comes from, well, Lamar Jordanson at Naturally, cats with a Z at the end. Uh, did the uh, did an Orioles bingo thing, if you're into that. And he provided us a nice uh, Orioles bingo card with some some great Orioles, uh, you know, moments that you could mark off. Whether or not you met Brooks Robinson, for example, or if you own a retro Orioles jersey, or you got crab fries at a game, et cetera, et cetera. This made the round on Twitter, and I thought this was a really great idea. And I reached out to him, and I said, yeah, that, that's awesome. But I think you ought to go dark. Yeah. Right? I think you ought to create a bingo card with with unfortunate things that happened uh, in, in your time as being an Orioles fan. So please, somebody make that a reality. I, I feel like that could be a good game as well. I also felt like, um, for those of us that... Um in essence, spend way too much time um, with the Orioles. I had way too many of these boxes filled out. Um, I think I ended up with like 20 of these boxes filled out. Um, and again, I really started to question my life and my life choices. Well, in in uh, very on-brand Jake English, I got very, very many of them, but didn't win a bingo. Really? That's unbelievable. I think I had like three lines that got crossed out. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive that Jake English... Uh, couldn't succeed and, in essence, uh, cross, his, cross that checklist off. Well, Scotty, I think that we have scraped every last bit of content from the Twitterverse, but I do want to take a moment and talk about some content scraping that happened this past week. It was done by the Baltimore Orioles, and spoiler alert, I think it was done very well. Let's take a quick break and come on back and talk about it.
I'm going to be honest. I was inappropriately bummed that baseball got pushed back. Now, I know that this is the epitome of a first world problem, but if you're listening to the show, you can probably empathize with me when I say that I miss baseball. I miss baseball, too, Jake. I miss it a lot. (laughs) Oh, are you a listener to this show, Scott? I am the only listener to this show. Not even your wife listens to this podcast. Not even. So in that spirit, I must say that I really do appreciate the Orioles making a bit of an event out of what would have been opening day, right? I feel like they worked pretty hard to promote their uh, showing of ALDS Game 2. And then the rest of us were there. You know, we were live tweeting and whatnot, and it, it really felt like a Birdland community event. And if we can't have the game... If we can't have, you know, actual baseball, it's nice to still have the community and an event to to get excited about. So, you know, as we all sit around in our houses trying not to be anxious, this was a very welcome distraction. And I would love to see the Orioles do more of this. I mean, what do you think, Scotty? Tonight, uh, here on the first, the Masson is showing the Curse the Andino game. Do you think that they're going to do this you know, throughout however long the the shutdown is? I do. I think that if you're not going to, in essence, have anything to run, you've got to at least run something. Um, If anything, just to kind of still try to maintain some semblance of a revenue generation as it relates to ads. Um, So, yeah, I do think they're going to continue to do this on a maybe a weekly basis um, to try to drive some engagement um, with, you know, really dedicated fans. Yeah, I, I think that weekly frequency is is uh, important because I think it allows people to to kind of plan, you know, when they're they're gonna take the time to watch a game they've already seen. Um, I wonder what else the Orioles can do to make it, you know, an event. I think it would be really cool to not only air the game but have some folks drop in and provide some extra commentary. So like pop right? a video, basically. Yeah, or or. Um, you know, if it was going to be the the Curse of the Andino game, you know, have some people from the organization who are either there or, you know, maybe have some of the players that are no longer with the organization or maybe no longer in baseball uh, that were involved in the game, you know, kind of just provide quick little clips of, you know, oh, let me tell you what was going on this inning, that kind of thing, or this was my best memory of it, that kind of thing. I think it, it would go a long way to providing a nice little wrinkle uh, for folks as we as we live tweet you know our our best memories, so to speak i you just said pop up video. I would love to see them get some sort of interactive uh, you know ability not only for us as fans because I think that those things do exist from time to time, but to get some behind the scenes insight from the the folks that were there so what you're telling me is you want a Baltimore Orioles storytellers uh version of uh these massing games yes okay that is exactly is exactly what I want okay you're clearly an old man but uh that's okay we'll we'll accept that yeah all right let me go back to opening day was the AL, ALDS game to the appropriate choice for trying to get people excited? Uh, I do. I think it was, um, it's a situation where it is in recent memory, uh, something that people still have an attachment to as it relates to uh, nostalgia. Um, people, in essence, knew kind of what the result was, but allowed them to turn into the game and, in essence, see it. Um, so, yeah, I think from a from an aspect of watching it on a streaming standpoint and even having it be broadcast live over Twitter, 
Um, I, I think it makes the most amount of sense to, in essence, choose that game to, in essence, kick off uh, the season. It's got to be the franchise's most important game since 1983, right? Um. I would argue that maybe the twenty one thirty one game is probably more important, mm-hmm. um, just because again it really made baseball once again kind of whole. I think so. You're you're right from a memorable game standpoint. I do think that that is one of those games that um, if you look back since nineteen eighty three, you will be hard pressed to find a more memorable game in terms of um, you know the cheers, the loudness, the roaring, and everything like that. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a magical game, you know, equal to a lot of others that we have talked about. You know, you mentioned twenty one thirty one. I turned on uh, the television the other day and, and went past Masson, and Masson was playing an Orioles classic game in which they lost five to three. And I was like, "What is going on?" It was it was the game that Cal Ripken didn't play mm. to end his streak. That was the Orioles classic game. I was like, "Yeah, I don't know." That has a it leaves me with a funny taste in my mouth. Yeah. Twenty-one thirty-one probably would have been a, a better choice. Yeah, I mean, I think the Orioles have to be creative here in terms of what games they're doing. I, I mean, I would even think back to, um, you know, the Mother's Day game, uh, specifically of the Orioles at the Red Sox um, in 2012 is a great example of a game that they could put on for, you know, six-plus hours um, and, in essence, you know, really have a good time with this game um, and in terms of fans tuning in in essence, watching it, or in essence, also just putting it on and having that white noise in the background. I, th- I think that's a great example. You know, going back further, you know, thinking about other games that they could put on, you know, one game that I haven't seen in a while, and I know Masson has broadcasted before, is the May 17th, 1996 game where Chris Hoyles hits the ultimate Grand Slam um, in order to win the game. So the Orioles are down by three runs, the bases are loaded. And Chris Hoyles comes to play, hits a, a grand slam to win the game by one run um, on a walk-off. I feel like that's the kind of game that I would want to watch um, and, in essence, really try to live again. All right. Let me, uh, let me go dark because okay. sometimes I do this. You mentioned the Mother's Day game in oh, we're not Austin. Talking, we're not talking the Mother's Day Massacre, are we? And my first thought oh. was the Mother's Day Massacre. We're not talking. So we're I not, ask you this: Scotty, We're not talking the Mother's Day Massacre. No. If if we were to identify really horrific games in Orioles history, the Mother's Day Massacre being chief among them, what would you think to the the Orioles from Mass and replaying those games? With some sort of live tweeting component to that. So what? How, you're, so what you're telling how, me is, um, we need to go back and, and, in essence, put on the August twenty second, two thousand seven double header, uh, and in essence, have the Dave Tremblay press conference, and then have the two games uh, against the Texas Rangers, uh, and basically broadcast that for approximately ten hours straight. You know that I would watch. I was there for the third. 30 to three game live, and I would love to watch that again. Uh, all these years later, I I would get into that, and I think that it would be really fun for us as Orioles fans to relive that, knowing what came afterward. As far as the you know Duquette uh, Showalter years of of relevance, I think that that will be even easier for the club to do once they come back. Like once the Orioles are good again. I would really like to see them lean into the uh, boy. Do you remember this nonsense? 
yeah, lean into the darkness as it were. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so many games that the Orioles can play that are either marathon games. Some great examples are like the 17 or 18 inning games that were played on like the West Coast. Um, I feel like there's so many potential games in there that, in essence, if the Orioles pick the right ones in terms of uh, momentum swinging uh, games within playoff seasons, folks would stick around and, in essence, watch those. So, I mean, I would be going back and looking at the 2012 and 2014 season and, in essence, picking, you know, 12 to 15 games out of those seasons and, in essence, basically just broadcasting those games and saying, hey, here is a really good memory um, that you're going to want to watch. Great example is the uh, the game that we were at, which was the Orioles and the Rays. Um, again, a, a double header game uh, um, where you know Manny basically fakes it and, and throws it back to the third to get the out. A great example of if that game is on, a true fan that's dedicated to watching a previous game is going to sit down and, in essence, watch that game. No questions asked. Yeah. So you know, kudos to the Orioles for making opening day an event you know it seems silly with everything else that's going on but i was pretty bummed on opening day you know i I was missing out on something that i I had been looking forward to for months um and the orioles stepped up and and helped us fill the emotional void so to speak and uh, i look forward to you know their continued efforts i appreciate it and i also look forward to the day that we can actually go there um scotty let me let me ask you this Let's just say, you know, the season does get restarted and whatnot. Is there a logistical nightmare there for the Orioles to deal with uh, season ticket holders, with pre-purchase tickets and everything like that? Or do you think that's something that will be pretty easy to to iron out? I think that'll be pretty easy to iron out. I think that's just an aspect of if you're a season ticket holder, you'll get a refund that'll either come directly to you or be applied to next year's statements. And then the other aspect is if you've already got pre-purchased tickets, it's just going to be like um, a rainout where you can either go to the box office and have your t- tickets exchanged or your money given back to you, or you can mail it directly to the Orioles box office. I really don't think this is a complicated a, this complicated scenario whatsoever. Well, sure, you could figure it out, but how often has the team failed to do something that we all could figure out? You know, typically for Orioles ticket office, I've actually given them a lot more credit over the years. I think they're going to get this right, and I think a lot of Major League Baseball teams are going to get this right as well. All right. Fair enough. You know, Scott Magnus, you are a wise, wise man, but you are not the only wise man in Birdland. Why don't we take a quick break and come back and speak to another voice of Birdland? You know, it's at this time that I usually provide a long, illustrious uh, introduction for our guests where I wax poetic about their skills at whatever craft they ply and how important they are to the Birdland community. And frankly, 
I think that I spent most of the podcast doing that every time he appears. We're joined, of course, by Matt Taylor, who writes uh, The Roar from 34, is a frequent guest here on Bird's Eye View, and is one of the most splendid human beings on the planet. Matt, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's good to be here. Glad we could uh, connect at a safe social distance. Yeah, thanks for not standing too close. I really appreciate that. Now, but before we get uh, started, I, I just want to ask, you know, how, how's everything uh, in your neck of the woods? Everybody good at home? That kind of that kind of good stuff. Yeah, everyone. Everyone's good. Um, you know, we've been, been fortunate overall. Uh, we were traveling when things went crazy with uh, with all this stuff. We were in England for uh, spring break and it's actually our first family trip. Uh, my wife likes to tell me that uh, going to see my family in Maryland and going up to Baltimore for extended visits during the summer is not a vacation. Um, so we took an actual vacation and about midway through the week was when the, the president announced his travel ban. And um, so we got texts about three in the morning, um, England time, and had to figure out if we we're going to be able to get back in the country, but it worked out fine. And uh, you know, we've been fortunate, haven't, haven't had any issues here. So Matt, was the first words out of your mouth? See, Orioles baseball really isn't that bad. And, you know, she shouldn't complain anymore about coming to Maryland. <laughs> I, I think I've proved my point. Exactly. <laughs> are, are you telling me, Matt, that your vacation is what broke the world? I think that's what I'm trying to say, yeah. Yeah. We should have gone to Maryland. Now, has it, been, uh, has it been interesting keeping track of how things, you know, are going in Maryland and in Birdland uh, and how we're faring with COVID-19 uh, from your home? I mean, how, how is it, you know, keeping tabs on two different locations, so to speak? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's different. It's, uh, I was talking to a friend recently about how the more that this goes on, it feels like the closer it gets. And so, um, we had a, a guy about a, about a mile from where we are now um, that died this past week um, from you know, COVID-19. And um, it just kind of, you know, and the, my friend that I was talking to had someone in his community that uh, passed away. He was in New Jersey. So it just kind of felt like it's creeping closer. Uh, when it comes to, to Maryland, mostly been keeping tabs on, on family and, um, you know, especially, you know, my, my dad's, you know, making sure that he's... Uh, self-quarantining appropriately. He tends to be a rule breaker sometimes. Um, well, I think his main thing is, is going stir crazy and you know, the, not having the Orioles. He loves to watch the, the baseball game. So uh, I think he's kind of driving himself crazy trying to figure out what to, what to do. You know, it really does seem like a first world problem, but I do miss the baseball. It, uh, it, it really has been a bummer to, to have spring come and the, the Orioles not be there. You know, what kind of, well, to steal a phrase from you in your blog, what kind of quarantine Orioles fan are you? <laughs> well, thank you for thank you for reading. Um well, you know, I, I probably have elements of, of multiple uh, of those those personalities that I, I put out on that one. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm the Orioles extrovert, so I'm not going to be at the, the grocery store, you know, hopping in the shopping cart and um, dumping beer on myself or anything like that. But I'm probably a, a combination of the introvert and the audiophile. So I'm um, doing, you know, doing some reading and, uh, you know, Orioles reading. And then you know, I, I actually have um, I have a, a record player at my house. Listen, listen to some vinyl. And there's a record shop in Catonsville that they have kind of a 
a crate that's just odds and ends, and a lot of it is sports stuff. And I've managed to find you know some gems in there, whether it's old Orioles promotional giveaways of of songs. Um, one of my more recent purchases was a, a recap of the 1970 season. So. You know, between um, you know, the, the records and you know, the books, it's probably probably a mix of audio file um, and the introvert. Is this Tracks on Wax we're talking about as well for the Cadence Hill store? Or is it a different store? It is Tracks on Wax. Tracks indeed. on Wax is amazing. Uh, highly recommended to anybody that uh, wants to go look for a good vinyl. Um, highly recommended. Yeah, that is that is a good spot. Uh, that um, is a store that you can in essence spend uh, several hours, uh, basically uh, wasting your time and kind of like an Orioles baseball game. So it actually works out really well. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's my biggest issue is you know we you know wait this entire winter as it were um, to get to you know opening day, and in essence it's the switch that goes off in my household. And Jake, you and I have talked about this in terms of you know the white noise that's in the background. Or it's in essence, you know, the game coming on at seven o'clock and my wife looking at the game at seven thirty and saying, I'm going upstairs to put my pajama pants on. I'll see you later this evening, just knowing that well, I'll be coming up at ten thirty at night and she'll be fast asleep. Um and you know, socially distancing at that point. So I think it's that aspect of, you know, figuring out what I'm going to do now um with those three hours. You know, um, you know, I'm not an avid TV watcher. Um, it's just something again that I like being able to sit down on my couch and, in essence, watch the Orioles game. And it's just trying to figure out, you know, what can I do to still kind of have that facsimile of baseball in my life. Scott, I don't think you're being fair. Okay, all right. I think it is completely irresponsible of you to say, "What am I going to do with those three hours?" Major League Baseball has worked very hard to ensure that you only have to replace two hours and fifty minutes okay. of baseball. That's good. I'm glad pace, I got that time pace back. Pace of play, my friend. Pace of play. So, um, Matt, let me let me ask you, what are you doing with your with your free time now that you're not obsessing over a baseball team? I feel like I should have more free time than I do. This has been been nuts. So um, the, the two things that are occupying my my time the most right now are, are work. Um, I work at a as a college professor. So we're all online now. So that's uh, taking a lot of time to to prep for that, and then um, my kids, third grader and a kindergartner, and uh, that's a, a full time job in itself. So my wife and I are, have been trading off work and and the kids throughout the days. Um, I have spent uh, more time than than I would like um, on a trampoline. <laughs> so um, so yeah, that's that's how my life's going right now. So you're you're telling me you're the BBC dad. Right. Like there you are teaching and the kids just bust in through the door. I, I saw that uh, he did an interview with his family recently, uh, which I thought was a, a good call on, on their part to just bring the family back and say, now that everyone is in this situation and runs the risk of kids busting into rooms while you're trying to do work stuff, um, let's let's bring them back and, and talk to them. So I thought that was a, a good move on their part. You know, do you, Jake, ahead, I think this is a perfect time too. like as dads all of us i mean this is dad talk 101 um maybe it's 201 as the college professor might be able to indicate too um but again i i think it's a really critical thought of like you know as much as this has impacted us obviously it has impacted our our children as well on that you know one of the things um that you know jake you and i've talked about is you know how this relates to you know our kids and you know how it relates to some of the activities they're doing you know they can't go out and outside and play with their friends um you know one thing that i was thinking about is 
you know, obviously baseball for kids is going to be impacted. Jake, yours was already impacted by having your son's arm broken uh, through an unfortunate wiffle ball accident. Um, but, you know, having to go to my son and be like, hey, um, we're not sure when we're going to play baseball. And there's a good chance that you might not play baseball this year. I mean, that's heartbreaking to go to a seven-year-old and, in essence, have to tell him that because it's the aspect of, like, what do you mean I'm not playing baseball this year? Like, I've waited all winter to play baseball, and I don't have that chance to do so. Um, so, I mean, Matt, like, what are you doing with your kids in terms of, you know, in essence, you know, keeping them engaged and also kind of making them aware of this whole situation that's going about? Well, I'll, I'll start by saying that, that earlier uh, we talked about, you know, this this trip being the reason that they shut down the whole world. But I really think it's because my my son had decided not to play baseball this spring. So not only did they decide to shut down the local league, they shut down leagues everywhere because, hey, if he's not playing, who can play, right? Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> say, so what kind of dad are you that you let your son not play baseball? I mean, seriously, you just have to force him to do it. If we learn anything from our fathers, it's just be forced to go out there and do anything. I I, I could tell some you know some uh, baseball stories with, with little league. So, and I'll just give you you one quick one here. Um, sorry to go off topic. I guess it's it's baseball. This is stated. baseball. This is completely on topic. This is on topic as much as Bird's Eye View is ever on topic. Okay. Okay. Well. Well. So, um, going back, it's about a year, year and a half. Um, my son was playing in what at that point was still a, a coach pitch league. And the guys that were coaching his team, their philosophy was basically like, hey, we want all of the dads to help out. So during practice, you come out in the field and you help. During games, you know, you can help out. Um, so everyone that, that wanted to be involved was involved. So during games, I would kind of run the dugout, make sure that you know, the kids got out there when it was their turn in the lineup. And then when they did the changeover, you know, to go out in the field, make sure everyone got out there and that sort of thing. So the team was lousy. We, we call those uh, bench moms, by the way, Matt. But that's okay. You keep on going, okay? I was trying not to use the term bench mom, but thank you for introducing <laughs> it. <laughs> so there I was as the bench mom. And so you know the, the team had a, a terrible season. And a lot of teams in the league were very competitive in, in a lot of ways. But one of the ways that it showed the most is that anytime there was even the slightest overthrow, you know, coaches would just keep running the kids until you got them out and at this age you know most of the time that meant uh, an infield you know shot to the shortstop was going to wind up being a triple or a home run and so it wound up ending a lot of games early by the mercy rule and so our coach you know tried to talk to some coaches sometime and say hey maybe we'll agree that we're not going to run the kids and all this sort of thing well so by the last game of the season you know our coach is fed up with it and we're playing another team that's doing this and and the game is at a point where if they score another run or two it's going to be over um and so they have a kid that there's an overthrow at first and they keep sending him and so that our our coach yells oh come on well the the manager of the other team's at third base but the dad that's pitching thinks that he's talking to to him hey what's your problem well cut out the the you know details of it to basically say this escalated to the point that uh, there was almost an on-field brawl and I'm standing there in the, in the dugout being the bench mom. And um, all of a sudden, you know, this dad is walking off the pitcher's mound toward one of our coaches curses at him. And I'm standing there saying, what, what is about to happen? You know, is, are they about to throw blows at this little league game? Um, and so, you know, they wind up separating and, and, you know, 
no no punches are thrown, but it, it gave me this perspective where you see these clips on TV. There was one around that same time going around of this crazy brawl at a Little League game. And, oh, can you imagine? I'm like, well, yeah, I can. I saw it with my own eyes. And um, so that, that was part of the Little League experience. And it didn't even occur to me until the next day that I never actually asked you know, my son what he thought about all this because he was out in the field while this was happening. And so I said, hey, buddy, I said, uh, what do you think about your game yesterday? <laughs> he said, boy, that one guy was really mad, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was. Uh, but he kind of went on from there. So that uh, is there a connection there with why he's no longer playing baseball? Well, that, that could be. That could be part of it. We'll find that out with psychological counseling in about you know 10 to 15 years. But um, yeah, well, I mean, I like. it, it's an interesting scenario. I mean, we've me and Jake, you know, as Little League coaches and stuff like that, have you know, run into similar predicaments as it is um, in terms of um, we'll call it unwritten rules of Little League Baseball um, as it is. Um, and even just the aspect of like whether you should use a pitching machine versus a, a coach pitch aspect, I think is really intriguing conversation. Um, but yeah, it's it's just really interesting to kind of, you know, take a look at that aspect for, you know, how Little League is played and in essence, how does it shape um, our kids and whether or not, you know, they're going to act in a certain manner going forward in years to come. Jake, I know you have like a, you could talk an hour about little league baseball. Yeah, but, but I shouldn't. Yes, you I shouldn't. shouldn't. Matt, get you are, in trouble. Are, are you finding that you are blogging more or less uh, with, with a lack of Orioles baseball? Well, so I've done a couple posts, did an opening day post and then um, one the, the day after uh, I have been busy, but it's interesting. I've actually thought like this would be, kind of key roar from 34 territory. Because when I started the whole thing many years ago, uh, it was in the middle of the you know, run of 14 straight losing seasons. The team was terrible. Um, and so it's not exactly the time to say, hey, this is a time where people are going to you know, want more content about the team. Um, but it worked out because a lot of what I was doing wasn't as much your kind of um, game analysis or anything like that. It was more... Um, quirky things and, you know, team history and that sort of thing. And that's really you know, where I started writing the team history because it was a, a consistent source of content. Um, so I thought like, well, this is actually a good time to, to potentially be, you know, be writing more content. And I think it, it does kind of speak to an interesting side of things because there's the one side of the game where, you know, you're into the game, you're into the results, you're analyzing that. Um, and that's a lot of fun. And then there's a whole other side to it where, it's more about what I would call the culture of the team. You know, you've been a longtime fan. And so maybe you have you know, some interest in the history or just the personalities and the, the quirks of the team. Um, and I think to, to follow a team for many years when, you know, when they're not winning consistently requires an interest beyond just the, you know, the, the analysis and the numbers themselves. Um, but then at a time like this, it's like, well, you know, if, if we want to stay interested, that's another area of content to, to explore um, beyond the games. All right. So uh, I'm going to ask you, you know, to counter what we've what we've encountered, we've we decided basically just to turn this podcast into fan fiction. Right. We, we, we write the season that we wish were happening. Uh, so I'd like to get you in on that. Let's let's pretend for just a moment, Matt, um, that the world was not uh, falling down around us, that Western civilization, as we know it, weren't uh, thread threading apart uh, as we speak. What I'd like you to do is this. Imagine yourself in some sort of alternate reality in which baseball did take place, 
opening day was on March 26th. Let me ask you, what were you most excited to see in this 2020 season for the Baltimore Orioles? Well, you know, it, it, it may be part of the reason why it's easy not to miss it because there wasn't a lot to look forward to. <laughs> um, I, I would say probably the, the thing that sticks out to me in terms of, you know, you, you knew the team wasn't going to be good, that this is all kind of developmental stages and that sort of thing. Um, I think probably one of the things I was most looking forward to was watching more of uh, Austin Mays Hayes there in, in Sunny Field um, and just seeing kind of the, the web gems that he produces um, and just kind of those, those, those fun moments. And I guess the, the other piece, and, and this is something I think that the Orioles deserve credit for, that they did well last season. It's when you've got a team that you know, is as bad as they were, finding interesting content, interesting stories to tell about that team. Um, and so I enjoyed probably most about last year. One of the things I enjoyed most was those kind of moments popping up. And so in addition to seeing a guy like Hayes and, and you know, him making more plays and his development, um, probably just to see what sort of things crop up during the season to, to make it fun and make it memorable. I mean, my, my favorite thing last year was probably the uh, Anthony Santander uh, fan club that uh, was at the one game. And so, well, I assume that's why you guys went to, to England. Well, naturally. Yeah. I actually, re- I actually regretted it after that. It didn't even occur to me. I was like, I, I should have done more with this opportunity. I mean, those, some of those folks, British Oriole fans on Twitter, I should have been reaching out to, to make something of it. I, I did um, exchange a tweet with, uh, I think, I think it's British Oriole fans, the name of the account um, recently. And I, one of the things I said is I felt like I should return the favor. Like you've provided this moment. Is there some other team that was in a bad state that I could have gone and supported um, to say, thank you. You know, this is me returning the, the favor. Yeah, absolutely. What, what could have been on a multitude of levels there, a multitude of levels. All right, well, let's, let's bring it back to our dystopian present. Uh, I actually had an alternate reality question for you, Jake, just as a, a sidebar, since we're talking about the UK and everything like that, if you, right. if you don't mind. Let, let's hear it. Okay. So I was thinking about this. So I was watching yesterday, which is the whole Beatles thing of like, what happens if the Beatles don't exist? And I have to ask this question, Jake, of if you had to live in an alternate reality where you had to choose between the Beatles or baseball going forward and, and one just never existed, uh, which reality are you living in? Wow. Did you just really go there? I did. Ow. Scott just divided by zero. I can't. I can't live in a world like that, Scott. I'm already on edge enough. Jake, this you, is a time of great anxiety and pain. Jake, listen. Even if you lived in a world with Orioles baseball or baseball in general, without the Beatles, you would still have the Monkees. You'd still have the Rolling Stones. You'd still have the Who. I mean, you still got a gu- bunch of great bands out there. I mean, really, the Beatles are you know not as good as baseball, obviously, right? Can you imagine this incredibly lame baseball podcast being an incredibly lame cricket podcast? I, I, I can actually see that. I think it'd be pretty similar, actually. <laughs> <laughs> There's just as much singing. There'd be just as much singing. I was, I was actually really happy to get a, a confession from a gentleman I was talking to when we were in England who acknowledged that we don't really know what's happening in cricket either. And I said, you know, I feel... <laughs> When I I went to St. Lucia a few years ago and I uh, was watching TV in the dead of the night, I was the only person awake and there was a cricket match on and I watched it never having 
figured out how the game works, trying to, to piece together the rules. And I just about had it not figured out by the time I fell asleep uh, a good, you know, two and a half hours into watching this, this game. So, um, yeah, totally mystified. So uh, let me, let me, you know, bring, bring us back into the dystopian present. Uh, the world is falling apart, Matt. What do you think happens with the baseball season? When do you think this thing is going to get going? Do you think it's going to happen this season? Boy, that's a that's a great question. It's so hard to to predict, and um, because you just don't really know when you know, when they're really going to feel at a point where they have things under control to to feel comfortable with that. I mean, I've seen things floated. Um, I saw something today talking about the possibility of you know, bringing the game back, but not not having fans there. Um, and and nothing would surprise me at this point because you know, even before things really blew up with this and. There were first there was first public discussion of it. Um, I was in a conversation about March Madness and what they might do with it. And at the time, I thought there's no way that they that they wouldn't do this. It's just so much money behind that for the NCAA. It's their primary money maker. There's no way they would cancel that tournament. And you know, here we are, right? So the instinctual part of me says you know, they're not going to give up an entire baseball season. Um, there's too much at stake. But I, you know, I could, I could see it happening, um, and you know, I think it does reach a certain point where, uh, you know, it's not even. I mean, you can reduce the number of games, but you know, what even is going to be the the quality of the the product at a certain point if you get the all clear? Um, so I wouldn't be stunned if they if they didn't play baseball this season. Um, but I think there is a chance. You know, we'll see a, a reduced schedule. Uh, but it is baseball, so we have to remember that they have a unique ability to screw things up. So they'll probably come up with a really bad solution. <laughs> that is a good way to look at it. That that's uh, that's good. I, I find that my views on whether or not we'll get a season and and you know how how that will affect the play really comes down to my general anxiety for the whole situation. Like on good days, I'm like, yeah, you know what? It, it's this is going to be great. There's going to be a, a late start to the baseball season, but it's going to be baseball. And no matter how much they play, like it'll it'll bring me joy and I'll feel good about it. And then on days where, you know, I, I feel like the world is out of control. I'm like, you know what? They're just they're not even going to play this season. And, and who knows when baseball will be back? And, and what does that mean for yeah. Uh, so I, I, my, I go up and down on on my ability to, you know, provide analysis on baseball with just, you know, how how my day has gone. All right. So I have a question, because obviously we we know that the season's going to be shortened. Um, you know, they can't play into December. I mean, it's just not possible. Um, so, Jake, I asked you this question. Um, would you rather than play reduced games um, and in essence, play 80 games for the entire season? Or would you rather see them play? you know, 120 games and in essence play shortened games. So what if they turn it into a little league format and instead of having nine innings, just have six innings. So are you asking me if I'd rather see a duck size horse or a thousand horse size? Wait, wait, how does that go? What, Ducks and horses. What I'm asking you is, um, did you really just insult me from the mound um, because <laughs> the pitch got overthrown um, in little league? Scott, I haven't been in a fight since I was in the third grade. You would finish me instantly. I wouldn't mouth off like that. It's all about the legs. So, um, but I mean, I'm serious. Like, would you be interested in more of like a double header format, or would you kind of just be like, just go ahead with the the, the shortened season approach? Nah, I just do. I just do shortened season. Okay. 
But I mean, I would be okay with the little league approach of them like stopping midway for orange slices. I mean, I think that would that would add a lot to the game. So I guess the question I would raise is in in relation to the Orioles. I mean, we talked about it earlier, but do you think it actually would be a benefit to the Orioles in the fact that Matt mentioned before um, in little league there is a mercy rule? Um, do you think mm-hmm. a mercy rule could potentially help the Orioles? Um, you know, to not basically uh, labor out and tire out their their players. I mean, I know that I would get to bed a lot sooner for a lot of games. Matt, what do you think? What do you think about a mercy rule uh, in Major League Baseball going forward for this season? I like it. I, 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 I'm in, put me on the record as in full support of a mercy rule. It's a, a wacky year, and if we're gonna, if we are going to bring the game back. Let's just make it wacky, right? They talk about experimenting with things in minor leagues and ways to change the game. Let's say, hey, we're just going to try everything because you know this season isn't going to be legitimate anyway. Whoever wins, they're just going to say, oh, you only played this many games or you played shortened games or whatever the case. So it's not going to be legitimate. It's going to be like an Astros title. It, it doesn't count. So <laughs> just make the whole thing wacky. Try all sorts of crazy things. Little League rules. I love the idea of orange slices. And we just see what it does. And I think it could forever change the game of baseball. And they'll look back and they'll say, you know what saved baseball was the year they played the shortened season and they just tried all those crazy things and people watched. And you know now they're watching forevermore. You know, we're down by 12 runs. That's it. We're playing with the money ball. You know, it's interesting because um, I remember thinking back, um, you know, when the wild card first came out and how objectified and, you know, distasteful it was. We were just like, ah. Oh. It's going to kill baseball. Like, there's no need for that. Like, division winners should be, in essence, going to the playoffs. Nobody else should be going to the playoffs. And looking back on it now, that was a great move. Um, and obviously, there's talk currently going on about further expanding out uh, the playoff structure within Major League Baseball. And, you know, part of me is just like, again, I'm not sure if it's going to be the best idea. But part of me was just like, that's actually a great idea to expand it out. It gets rid of this whole, you know, aspect where, you know, folks are looking and saying, well, we can't compete with the top, you know, four or five teams. Why don't we just have to compete with, you know, the top seven teams and in essence have a better shot of doing it? I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, what we've seen with baseball and we've seen this with a variety of sports, too, of once you get to, you know, October, anything can happen. Um, and I think it's a really intriguing idea to basically shake up the rules. I mean, as much as baseball is a, you know, a conservative approach as it is from a rule standpoint, I think, you know, in, in terms of bringing about interest about who is going to be there at the end uh, for competition standpoint is a really intriguing idea. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting because there's like the the competitive fairness side and then there's just the reality of you need people to watch the game. You need to generate interest. So, you know, if we went back, you know, many years and just had, OK, one division you know, or one league winner from each side and they play for the the World Series, like that's the most fair, right? They've proved themselves over the course of a full season and now they face each other, one from each league. But, you know, as you say, we've, we've developed the wild card, we're expanding um, because that makes it more competitive. It makes it more interesting. And a sport that's built on large sample sizes all of a sudden goes into a short sample size where anything can happen. I mean, if you take that analogy of you know NCAA basketball and March Madness, it's like, that's not determining the truly best team. Sometimes, you know, the best team does emerge, but it's just crazy and anything can happen. And it, that's why people tune in. And so with baseball, I mean, you're not getting as much of that because 
you know, if you are one of the, you know, that group of teams, you're, you're still a good team, but it does open up all kinds of possibilities that are more entertaining. Is it the fairest way to determine the winner? No, but is it fun? And does it draw people in more? Yeah, I think absolutely. Oh my gosh. How cool would that be? Let, let's say baseball comes back and it is way too short, as, as you just indicated, a, a too small a sample size. What if baseball came back and they said, you know what, we're going to do a tournament. March Madness. We're going to do, yep. do a bracket-style tournament and turn the baseball season into you know, maybe a series each. Like World Baseball uh, Classic, basically. Yeah. Like a round-robin yeah. tournament. Would, like, say, we're just going to do round-robin and just throw it cool out there. Way. I'm, I'm fascinated to see what the opportunities for baseball uh, is in, in this shortened season. I you know, reiterate, obviously, they, they I, won't be there. I reiterate with what Matt Taylor said earlier, which is uh, any idea that we're coming up with on this podcast is going to be infinitely better than what Major League Baseball <laughs> ultimately comes back on. But, I mean, coming back to the historical standpoint, I mean, we could look you know, to the 1980 Baltimore Orioles winning 100 games in the AL East and not making the playoffs. I mean, these are examples of baseball has to, in essence, shake it up every once in a while. And I completely agree. I think this is a perfect season to, in essence, tinker uh, with the formula slightly in order to kind of raise that intrigue. People are craving sports. Um, people are looking for stuff at it, when that comes back. And I think there's no better aspect of, um, you know, there's a perfect opportunity here for, you know, Major League Baseball to, in essence, throw their, you know, sport out there and say, hey, we're going to combine this out there and we're going to give the people what they want, which is instant gratification with a really competitive product. As long as we're tinkering with the game, I want to I want to put in coach pitch. I, okay. I think we should borrow that from Little League. <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, save the pitcher's arms. They don't have a spring training to warm up. But to that point where you're talking about you know, the, the Orioles and you know, the, the uh, 1980 team, and I, that's one of the things I think about sometimes in terms of like fandom now versus you know, going back to a period like that where – it's hard to generate interest in a team, um, you know, in, in Baltimore and many other cities, unless they're you know, truly competitive. And even though, even when they are over the course of, you know, 81 home games, difficult to fill the stadium. Now I haven't done any kind of comparison, but I'd be interested to know, like, what were the attendance patterns, you know, at that point, um, as you know, the further you go back and the fewer you know, slots they have available um, for these teams that can be, very good and still not even make the playoffs. I think that's really interesting to, to think back on that and wonder if like the fan experience that, you know, most seasons you probably know pretty, you know, don't have to get too far in to know, okay, well our season's, you know, not going to the postseason. but then even imagine being the team that's that good. It certainly makes those last regular season games really interesting. If you're you know in the nineties or hundreds, but still you know, at risk of being left out. But I, I almost think you have to be a more hardy fan or, or find something truly beyond just the, the wins and losses to, to engage with there. If you can still be filling a stadium for, um, you know, or not filling it, but you know, putting a good number of butts in the seats for a team that, you know, up, oh, you know, pretty early, we're not, we're not doing anything. Well, I can tell you this. I was just hoping that the Orioles wouldn't lose a hundred games this season. And I'm pretty confident I'm going to get my wish. You should have gone to Vegas and put some money on that. Oh, man, I should have indeed. Well, you know, Matt, we've we've talked a bit about about the blog. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what's going on recently uh, at the Roar from 34. and, And tell us, you know, to the best of your knowledge, what can we expect moving forward? 
Well, so, you know, we had the, the post that we referenced there earlier where we talked about kind of what, uh, what type of quarantined Orioles fan are you and developed some categories for that and even made some suggestions based on some, some Twitter personalities there. Um, and then follow that up with the uh, post about you know, which uh, which Orioles batter has put the most social distance uh, between himself and the baseball in, in recent years. And just with all the numbers on StatCast, looking at the basic uh, of distance and, and longest home runs. Um, I, I really, even before all this stuff happened, wanted to look uh, more at Roar from 34 this season uh, as engaging more with kind of that, that quirky and fun side and, and culture of the team. Uh, and having fun with that. I'll also say I have been kicking around for a very long time an idea, and I'll keep kicking it around and probably never implement it. Um, but years ago, I, I did the Utah Street Chronicles. I started doing that, which was the stories behind home runs that that reached Utah Street. And I probably got about 10 or 12 in um, on on that before running out of gas. But at some point, I would love to put that in a, in a podcast format. Um, and Part of the reason for that, and I may have mentioned on the show before, I don't know, but um, you know, if you take a, a tour of the stadium, and I did uh, a few years ago with my dad, it had been on, you know, probably since the stadium opened that I had taken a tour, and you know, they they go by the Utah Street baseball and they make kind of a passing reference to it, but you do see fans engage with it, um, and if they're from out of town, they're looking for you know, players that they know, um, and on the particular tour I I took, uh, you know, the tour guide someone had asked a question. Um, about the Red Sox and David Ortiz and how many times he had reached Utah Street. And uh, it turned out that the answer that was given was wrong. And, and so I did I actually did a quick check on my phone back to some of those old Utah Street Chronicles and said, oh, yeah, OK, that's wrong. And kind of told the guy, which the only downside to that is he then thought you know, that I was a Red Sox fan and I had to explain that, no, I was not. Uh, but anyway, those stories behind that I think are, are fun and I think it would be a good resource both for you know, Orioles fans, obviously, but then also for anyone that were to roll through town and, and take a tour, it'd be cool to have a podcast that just goes home run by home run. Um, and if you want the basic details, you can get that, but then you can also go deeper and learn a little bit more about that. So that's my great idea that I'll never actually implement. Um, and that's that's probably the, the future. Lots of ideas and little follow through. Well, you're about to have a lot of time to yourself. You make a good point. All right. Matt Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really, we, we appreciate your visits each time. You know, about this time of year, we usually get together uh, in spring training and, and talk about the hope and the excitement. And uh, this year, a little different. So, you know, a bit, a bit of a downer. Uh, but we, we love having you on just the same. Uh, where, where can we find you online? So Roarfrom34.com is the, the blog and at roarfrom 34 on Twitter. Um, so, I, that, and that is one of the things I'm glad to see that Orioles fans are still connecting on Twitter. And that, that's one of the things I, I do enjoy is uh, the connection that provides. So, you know, check in uh, at war from 34 and the other great uh, members of the Birdland community there online. Great. Well, Matt, stay safe. Our best to you and your family. And uh, Hey, maybe next time we have you on, we'll have happier things to talk about as far as the baseball team is concerned. This is more of a tease than anything else, this blowing the save. 
we were originally going to throw a party for our 300th show. You know, we, we did a, a live show for our, our 100th episode. And, uh, you know, we had another live show in the works. And we would have started promoting it at about, about this point. We would have been really excited about it. And we, we hope you would have been, too. Um, but that's that's no longer happening because of everything that's going on. I, I hope that when everything gets put back together that we're able to make good on those plans because they were going to be fun but that can't happen and so there's another idea that scotty and i've been kicking around for a couple of years now and well this seems like the time to break it out so we're working on a special project and we'd like you to be on the lookout in the next couple of weeks for an announcement on that project as usual i am way too excited about it and i think with everything going on It'll be a delightful distraction for the rest of you. So with that, there's your tease. More to come. And that, that is our show. Remember that you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and encourages other people to listen for the first time. And please make sure you check out Matt Taylor's blog, RoarFrom34.com. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeview, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all the fun. Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Stay inside. And let's go O's. You still here? It's over. Go home. Go.